Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you buy, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's right after Proverbs, uh, which is Proverbs is right after Psalms. Um, years ago, whenever I lived in Texas, I started going to a little cowboy church. Never heard of a cowboy church before, started going to a little cowboy church. And I'm not going to bore you with a lot of boring details. Well, some of them exciting details, but... The end result was about a year after I started going to this little cowboy church, our preacher left, and because I did the music, and I was the arena team lay pastor, which is just kind of like a team leader. I mean, it sounds real fancy, and it's really not. Um, about a year after I started going, I, find my, I found myself as a pastor, okay? Now... Being a pastor of a church is not a simple ordeal. <laughs> and it was basically like taking Ty, who hates water, and throwing him in the middle of the ocean and telling him to find land. That's about what I felt like. But you know what? They, we had a really good system in place. And um, the, the, the model that, that was used at that church was one of, uh, you know, you had your pastor and then it was elder led. So you had like two or three elders on this side of the kind of the uh, responsibility chart. And then on this side, you had the lay pastors and underneath them, you had the team leaders and blah, blah, blah. And so I did everything. I went to some schools with the cowboy churches, and, and I did everything that, that they told me to do. I was having weekly team meetings with my arena team, my facilities team, my children's team, my uh, youth team, and I mean, and, and also music team, because I was still involved in the music. So I was doing all of this stuff, and we were going along and it was probably about two and a half years later, maybe two years later. I remember one night I had uh, gone out to check on a horse, and, and this horse I got was one that um, I had gone and <laughs> I had day worked for a guy. And um, this is an important part of the story. It's not a rabbit trail. Um, there was a guy, that a rancher around my part of the country that couldn't find any help. And there was a reason he couldn't find any help, because he liked to pe the people that would come and help him, he liked to call them bad names, okay? He was not a very nice man, and about the only one that would work for him was my father. And so my dad called me one day, like, hey man, I need your help. I was like, what? He goes, I need you to come help me at Blank's Ranch. And I said, no. No. <laughs> he goes, I don't have anybody else, Kevin. And I said, No. And he said, why? And I said, because I'm a pastor and I'll get in a fight. Because <laughs> the first time he calls me an MF, we're going to have a problem. He said, will you please just do it? And I said, 250 bucks a day, I'll come do it. He called me back and he goes, well, he said, sorry, he can't afford that. He's got lots of horses, but he ain't got no money. He's horse rich and money poor. I said, fine, I'll work two days for two horses. He called me back and said, he went for it. I was like, oh, no. 
Well, without going down some rabbit trails, I got one of the horses I was promised. I worked two days for two two-year-olds, and I ended up getting one. Mainly because we couldn't catch the other ones because these colts had never seen a human being. And so we finally get this one gray mare caught, and it was not Fiona, and um, put her, you know, got her loaded up, took her out to the house. I'm bitter, trying not to be. I forgive him. We go on. But this horse was just, I mean, just, he's like feral, like going and getting a wild Mustang and putting it in the in the pen and i was trying to gentle her down and you could rope her and get a halter on her but like she never would offer anything there was nothing gentle about this horse and so i'd had her at at the house for a couple of days and she was still real real skittish and i hadn't really worked on her with her that much because i was working at the time and so i went out there to check on her it's probably about 9 30 at night and i we had an old well, it's a heater treater, but most of y'all don't know what heater treaters are. But it's like a big propane tank that's been cut in half as a water trough. And I ended up sitting down on that water trough and just looking at the mare. And then I noticed in the reflection of the water of the moon. And so I went to praying. Nice summer evening, if I remember right. I, don't, I didn't have a jacket on. And I sat there and I started praying. And then things got a little rough. Because in my prayers... I started telling God how I was really feeling. And to be honest with you, until that night, I didn't even know I was feeling that way. And I started telling him how hard everything was and that I really wanted to do him a good job. And before I know it, and I, I mean, you, you can think less of me if you want to. I, I mean, I guess I care, but not that much. But it turned into one of those snot-slinging episodes. And if you ain't never had one of them snot-slinging come-to-Jesus meetings, they're not pretty. They are not pretty. So I'm sitting there, and I, I told God, I said, you know, when I gave my life to you, I said, God, I'll, if you'll, I don't know what you could do with a sorry cowboy like me, but if you'll have me, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll, I'll say what you want me to say, and I'll be who you want me to be. That was my entire prayer. And I said, God, and I've done that. And all I ever wanted to do since that moment was be close to you and know you intimately. And I said, and now I'm a pastor. And I'm having team meetings. I'm having lay pastor meetings. I'm doing music practice several times a week. And nobody shows up to the team meetings. This team is fighting with this team and these elders don't want this lay pastor and these lay pastors say they're going to quit if these guys an elder anymore and I mean I am mad and it sounded about like that (laughs) it's exactly what I sounded like with well it's a little deeper but not by much not by much and you know At the end, I said, you know, God, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to. And all I ever wanted was to be close to you. But now that I'm a preacher, I've never felt so distant from you as I do right now. Tears, snot, feeling sorry for myself. And I got an answer. And the answer was this. I'm going to try to make it sound like the way it felt in my heart. I didn't ask you to do all that, son. 
I just asked you to get to know me. I didn't ask you to do all that, son. Meetings, people, it all felt meaningless. And I wasn't alone because there's another guy in the Bible that felt the same way. And his name was Solomon. And the book of Ecclesiastes, I mean, we, we could go in here and we, I mean, there, the hardest part about being a preacher is figuring out what not to say. And I don't mean like using bad words. I'm saying the Bible is so full of such rich wisdom and, and about God and beautiful stories. It, it's, the hardest part is figuring out what to leave out. So how do you talk about any of these great men and women of faith and figure out what to leave out? Well, let me tell you what I'm going to leave out of Solomon. I'm going to leave out that he built the first temple. Okay, now that is really kind of what he's known for is building the first temple. But what we are going to talk about is not his specific exploits of marrying Pharaoh's daughter when God told him not to. He's he's the wisest man that ever lived. And yet he didn't always act like it. So instead of going through all of the different aspects of his life, like we did with David, what we're going to do is fast forward to the end, and that's where we're going to start our journey with Solomon, is to figure out what did he learn from being, according to the Bible, the wisest man that ever lived, and also the richest man that ever lived. Now, as far as the richness goes, to put it in context... Elon Musk used to be the richest person on earth at like, what was it, like 40, $144 billion, something like that, right? It is estimated that Solomon's wealth exceeded $4 trillion. That is what the U.S. national debt is. He could have paid off the United States national debt. I mean, this dude had some bank, okay? He had some bank. And why was he the wisest person to ever live? Because when he became king after his uh, father David, God told Solomon, because of the faith of your father, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Solomon thought about it for a second and said, you know what, if, you're, if I'm going to be king, I need wisdom to be a good king. God was so impressed with his answer that he made him the wisest person to ever live and threw in all the money in the world just as a bonus, right? Just as a bonus. But the book of Ecclesiastes, because Solomon, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon lived his life as a social experiment nearly. I mean, he tried everything under the sun. And they say he was wise, but he had like a thousand wives. Thank y'all. We'll see y'all next week. My goodness. My goodness. You'd think he'd find a good one out of all them. No, I'm joking. It was a different time and place. It was a different time and place. Okay. But let me ask you a question. Has life ever felt meaningless to you? Does it ever feel like you're tired of the struggle day after day after day? Do you think that maybe with God's help, 
you can find something that will fulfill you and bring some satisfaction. And that is what Solomon tried to do. He lived his life. I mean, he had a thousand wives. He had like 10,000 horses. Can you imagine if he married a thousand horse girls? <laughs> no wonder he had 10,000 horses. He had a thousand wives. Now he figured it out. He married horse girls. They each had 10 to start off with. <laughs> Not really. I'm joking. We're going to get to wives in a minute. But see, Solomon lived his life like a social experiment. And he, he comes right out and says it. He's like, man, I tried the good. I tried the bad. I went from the wisest to madness and everything in between. I can have anything that a human is capable of having. And let me tell you what the result is. Every stinking bit of it don't mean nothing. Except for your relationship with God. None of it means a stinking thing, not $44 trillion, a thousand wives, 10,000 horses, palaces, and it's meaningless is what Solomon said. The wisest person to ever walk this earth according to God, and I believe him when he says it, says that all of that stuff is absolutely meaningless. So I went through Ecclesiastes and I tried to figure out what to leave out. And I came up with three things that we will briefly go through. In an effort to simplify Solomon's teachings in Ecclesiastes, and let's go. Three things. Three things that Solomon teaches us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Number one, he teaches us that life is hard and nothing you can do will ever change that. Nothing you can and will do will ever change the fact that life is hard. It's not going to be easier when you get another job. It's not going to be better when you get another house. Life is hard. Let's look at that. In Ecclesiastes 1.8, and I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, Solomon says this, Everything is wearisome beyond description. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. Hmm. We start our journey with Solomon at the end. All of Ecclesiastes, as I've already said, is about that nothing is going to fulfill you except for a deep, meaningful, and personal relationship with God. That is the only thing. Why? Why did the wisest person come to that conclusion? Because he said that your relationship with God is the only thing that will survive your death. That's it. It's the only thing you take with you. So why? He, he poses the question in a bunch of different forms of why we struggle so hard with things that ultimately are absolutely meaningless. And then he goes on to say that no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. See, our sinful nature is one of greed, lust, and a desire for power and attention 
and notoriety. That is our sinful nature. And listen, we'll never be free of that. And because of that, let me tell you, the things that you are searching for in this world that are not God are going to ultimately not bring you satisfaction. Okay? They are not going to fulfill you. And I know this for a fact, because let me tell you some of the things that I have experienced. I'm a published author. I have a book. I have people come up to me and ask me to sign their book. And I'm happy to do so. Doesn't mean anything. When I say it doesn't mean anything to me, it means something that they ask me. But being an author has not made me feel any different in my life. I am exactly the same person now as before I was an author. And I really thought that once I had this 12-year project published that I would feel different. And I did at first for a little while because it was exciting. But when the excitement wore off, now it's on to the next thing. Because I don't put my identity in, 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 the, in the books that I publish. Now, I, I do them, and I do them for the glory of God. But in and of itself, I mean, even being the founder of one of the largest cowboy ministries in the nation, I still feel the same as I always have. And quite frankly, when it comes to Save the Cowboy, and I know that this is going to be taken wrong and everything, but Save the Cowboy is not the reason for my existence, If Save the Cowboy no longer existed, my faith would still be the same. Because Save the Cowboy is just kind of a, you know, ministry is a public display of a private faith. We are never satisfied. I think that, like, inside, it's kind of like, you know, you you walk into, uh, you get a new candle and you light it and it smells so good in your house for like 30 minutes and then you don't smell it for the next 28 years. But yet we still keep buying them for that 30 minutes, right? We get nose blind. Well, our satisfaction is the same. We'll feel satisfaction for a minute, but then we go back to that default just uh, setting, right? Because it's who we are. It's our sinful nature. We're not going to get rid of that. And yet, how often do we go for this? Addictions, I mean, and it doesn't have to be cocaine. It can be, you know, Coca-Cola, You know, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, alcohol. It could be ice cream at night, (laughs) you know. We always look for satisfaction in every area that is not going to bring it. We are a silly people. We are a silly people. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. The proof in this... It's what God offers us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? All of these amazing promises that all dwell within a deep, personal relationship with God, and we push it to the side, or we give it a cursory, oh yeah, boy, that sounds beautiful, and then we go after everything else. We are a silly, silly people. The proof is that what God offers us, peace, love, purpose, and unity, we know this, and yet we go another direction. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Everything is wearisome beyond description. You've heard me and Mitch and Ty and 
Did Blake, when he was here, I asked Blake one time, I said, was there ever a point blank, uh, not point blank, point Blake that, uh, that you know you had to get up and get on a horse that day and you really didn't want to? He goes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're horseback like six out of seven days a week for months on end, Last thing you want to do is get on a horse. But yet I hear people say, I wish I had a job where I could ride horses every day. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you want that job for about two days. And then you don't want that job anymore. I promise you. Everything is wearisome. No matter how much you do something, it becomes wearisome. Except for one thing. There's one exception to that. And you know what that is. A deep and personal relationship with God. See, one of the reasons that life is hard is because of the fantasy king. That's what, I, that's what I think of Satan as, the fantasy king. Because see, we have it in our mind, if we were the smartest and richest person on earth, that we wouldn't have any problems. Or even if we did have problems, they would be better problems, but that's not true. Because, see, kings have to make hard decisions. He, kings have to make people go to war. And, and kings get people killed. So all of a sudden, somebody were like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, maybe I don't want to be a king. I want the power and the money and the wisdom without the responsibility. Well, that's what you call a celebrity, right? <laughs> so now nobody wants to be king. They want to be celebrities. But wait a minute. These guys and girls are the most beautiful, pretty people on earth with some of the greatest wealth on earth. And yet they're committing suicide. And they're alcoholics. And they're getting DWIs. What is wrong? Oh, well, it must be that there's still some level of, of responsibility. Um, so instead of being high-key rich, we want to be low-key rich. Right? And so uh, the way to be low-key low famous and low-key rich, let's sell that. Well, how are you going to sell being a celebrity? Let me tell you how. You sign up for this deal, and then you can have friends that follow you. And they get to see all of your pictures and tell you how beautiful you are and how great you are. And you can post pictures of OPP, other people's property, and claim that it's your own and how blessed you are. And people can give you attention. And ultimately, those people figure out that it's not all that either. Because what Solomon said was right. It's all meaningless, except for a deep and rich personal relationship with God. Life is hard. That's what Solomon teaches us. Life is hard. The second thing that Solomon teaches us, I've got bad news and worse news. Life is hard. The second thing Solomon teaches us is this. And I may lose some of you here. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Some of this is going to start making sense to some people because your life has been hard. You've thought that this would make you happy, but it didn't. You thought that would make you happy, but it didn't. You keep searching, but you haven't found it yet. Well, you're figuring out this morning that the wisest and richest man to ever live said that none of that means anything. He also said, be careful what you wish for. That is my paraphrase, not his words. 
Be careful what you wish for. Let's explain that. Let's jump over to verse 18. Ecclesiastes 1.18. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Let me read that again. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. In other words, be careful what you wish for. See, we all want to grow spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, some of you don't want to grow physically. You want to grow smaller. But still, it's the same thing. Okay? Whichever one you, you know, because none of us are satisfied, right? <laughs> Very few of us are satisfied. But we can all, we, I think if you're here today, you have something inside you that makes you want to grow spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Okay? To be stronger. But did you know that the main requirement for growth is adversity? You can't grow without adversity. Listen, man, if you want to, if, I mean, I went on about a three-year deal. I was always a skinny kid, and I thought, well, I wonder what would happen if I really just got in the gym, right? Well, guess what? You don't get big muscles by sitting on the couch with a remote. You've got to go lift heavy weight a lot for an extremely long amount of time, an extremely amount, a large amount of time, because, see, you can't grow without adversity, Sometimes the hardest times of our lives aren't because we did something wrong, but that you're doing something right. Now, <laughs> I want you to think about this. Sometimes the hardest times of our lives aren't because we did something wrong, but that we are doing something absolutely right. Because if you are praying for growth then what is the main component of growth? It's adversity. You don't grow without problems, people. And yet we want to grow, but we're searching for a way to grow with less stress and less problems. And I'm here to tell you, it's not going to happen. Why? Refer back to rule number one. Life is hard. I told you I had good news, or I had bad news and worse news, right? Be careful what you wish for. This is what I mean. Now, this is, this is the meat. This is the protein right here. We talked about the bread. This is the protein. We'll go back to the bread in a minute. Okay, this is the good stuff in the middle. The more you see the beauty around you, you will also see more pain. Because when your eyes are opened to be able to see more, you do see more. You see more beauty, and you see more pain. The more you know, the more you know, the more we see just how shaky things really are. And in your hearts, you know this to be true. I love the way my Life Application Study Bible puts it. This was in the little notes for this verse. It said, when you search for the meaning of life, you must be ready, and that in, in this context, they're talking about growth, okay? What is my purpose? Well, to reveal your purpose, you got to grow in wisdom and, you know, all this other stuff. But it says this, when you search for the meaning of life, you must be ready to feel more, think more, question more, hurt more, do more. 
Are you ready to pay the price for wisdom? Are you ready to pay the price for wisdom? Because when you search for the meaning of life, you must be ready to feel more, think more, question more, hurt more, do more. Are you ready to pay the price for wisdom? So we talked about life is hard. We talked about be careful what you ask for. Okay? Now, sometimes ignorance is bliss. But that, when it comes to God, that ignorance only lasts until you die. Because that ain't an excuse no more. And if, if ignorance is bliss is the way you want to take life, this is the only heaven you'll ever see. So be ready. Be careful what you ask for. But now we have a silver lining. Because the smartest and richest man to ever live has some advice for you and me. And this is what he says. In Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 10, it says this. So go ahead. So go ahead. Eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do it well. Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? Now, there's two groups of people on the first part of this. Eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. If you think that is God's permission to be an alcoholic, you're an idiot. Okay, that is not what that says. And if you're one of these religious people that say you're going to hell if you drink alcohol, well, you're a silly person. Listen, you want to know what that really means deep down? That means this. If you can't be happy right now, nothing else will make you happy. If you can't be happy with right now, I assure you, nothing else will make you happy. Did you know, and I think I talked about this in another, another deal on contentment, is that they did a study of uh, people that won the lottery and people that became quadriplegics. And they said, you know, like on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you before you won the lottery? and after you won the lottery, and how happy was a quadriplegic before he was a quadriplegic and afterwards. After two years, both of them had reverted to the same place that they were before it happened. The lottery winners were only as happy as they were before they had the money, and the quadriplegic were just as happy being a quadriplegic as they were as walking around. In other words, if you can't be happy with what you have right now, of what God gives us, you're not going to be happy with anything else. First advice, be happy with what you have, man. Find, it, find joy in just eating. I wish, I wish y'all could go to the orphanage in Mexico and to Guatemala, okay? Because Everything revolves around food there because they don't know where their next meal is coming from. You want to see some happy people? Just sit down and eat beans. Beans and tortillas. Man, they, you know what? In a lot of ways, they're luckier than we are. Because they have figured out 
Go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart for God approves of this. Wear your best clothes, put some colognes, put some perfume on. Now find a reason to be happy now. And the second thing that he says is love the, live with the woman, live happily with the woman you love, right? For she is your great reward for your earthly toil. Women, you are our great reward. That's what I tell my wife. After studying with this, I tell her every day, you are my great reward here on earth. I've got, a, I've, I've got another couple coming. It's called heaven. It's called eternal life. But for now, she is my great reward. And guys, I hope you see your wives as the same. So here's his advice. Be happy right now. Live happily with your wife. She is your great reward. And whatever you do, do it well. That's the advice of the wisest man that ever lived. But the entire time he did exactly what Jesus Christ did. He pointed the way towards a relationship with God. I said it. I said, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to. All I ever wanted was to be close to you. But now that I'm a preacher, I don't even feel you. I don't even know where you're at. Head bowed, tears, snot. And I heard in my heart, well, I didn't ask you to do all of that. And in that statement was something profound and deeply personal to me. That what he told me is all of that is fine, and sometimes you've got to do things that you don't want to do. But the only thing that's important is you and me, son. And God's got that same message for you today. And I pray that when you develop that deeply and intimate relationship with him, that you'll get to experience some of the things that I've experienced. Because in that moment when he told me in my heart, well, I didn't ask you to do all that, son. I felt something else. And for the first time since it started, I looked up and that mare was right here. And I looked her right in the eye by moonlight and I said, God, is this you? And she went, and nuzzled my shoulder and walked off. You can draw your own conclusions from that. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I pray right now that, yeah, we, there's things that we got to do. But let's put the importance on it. That, that sometimes life is hard. Not sometimes, it's, it's hard all the time. And nothing's going to change that. So, so we must, God, we must get our priorities straight. That a deeply rich and personal relationship with you is the only thing that ultimately matters. Now, if we have to do something else, let us do it well. But let us know that everything else we do is really for naught. It can be good. It can be great. But it can also be for naught if we do not have you as our personal Lord and Savior. God, we give our lives to you now. In this time that we celebrate the season of the Messiah, the one that would bridge the gap between who we are and where you are, God, and bring us into your presence. We thank him for that, and we honor him today and every day, and especially next Sunday as we celebrate the birth, the new creation, and the start of the end. Jesus, we love you. We ask the Holy Spirit for strength, and God, thank you for loving us, and help us do the same in return. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.